If I was to inspect your home, what were some things that you heard that you have too much of? Any, anybody? Uh, pardon? Toys. Toys. Yeah. Dust. Dust. Okay. Laundry. <laughs> I've got one that I doubt. I mean, I'm going to give you a quick insight into me. Uh, some say I'm frugal. Others use different words for that. Uh, uh, but part of it would have to do with my upbringing, and that doesn't matter. Uh, if you were to go to my home, you would find that they, I have far too many frozen turkeys. And what do I mean by that? Well, every November when the turkeys go on sale for Thanksgiving, instead of going hunting for my own turkeys, I go to the market, supermarkets, and, uh, and I just pick up, you know, turkeys at 59, 69, 79 cents a pound, no more than, than a dollar nine a pound, which you can get at that time and you can't get any other time of the year. Well, many of the markets have started this, this new custom that's called the Jim DeMoler uh, law, where they say one per customer, but it, you can still get one per size per customer. I checked that out. So in my freezer in our garage, you will open it up, and Barb calls it the turkey freezer because there's not much room for anything else. The funny thing is, is that throughout the year, like just this last weekend, we had a visitor, out-of-state visitor, drop in and spend a couple nights, and I got out one of the turkeys. And uh, I cooked it, and, and we sat down to dinner, and they said, oh, you didn't have to go to so much trouble for us. You know, a whole Thanksgiving dinner just for us. And I smiled and said, no trouble at all. And what I wanted to say, at 59 cents a pound, you're a bargain. You know, okay. <laughs> One of the problems, though, is that, you know, sometimes we criticize those who are rich and ostentatious and they have so many toys. And, and we say, you know, often they become proud. They become proud and they love to show you with this new thing and this new thing and how they'll even tell you how much this costs and I have this great wine cellar and, and, and I, I understand that. But can I just share that on my end of the spectrum? And I'm not poor. This church takes very good care of me. But on my end of the spectrum, what's inside of me of being way too frugal also sometimes says, God can't do it, so I better. And I've been around some people who actually quote the scripture to me. And by the way, you can never find it in scripture. The Lord helps those who... I dare you to find it. You may find it with Benjamin Franklin. You may find it, you know, somewhere else. But you will never find it in scripture. Now, scripture does tell us to be wise. Not to be uh, ostentatious. It tells us not to waste our money and all those things. But it never says... God only helps those who will go and work hard for it. And I am one of those who has to say that far beyond what I have earned in a salary, God has often provided in ways that I cannot explain except he used his people to help me. I've got to put this bottle down for a while. I'll get back to it in just a little bit. Well, uh, 
whether you're rich or whether you're not so rich, we all have a problem of believing that God steps in and he actually enters our lives through Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit to help us understand that he cares about us. He just doesn't know everything about us, but he cares about us and he is involved. He intervenes in our lives. And as we've been going through this series of John, it shows Jesus stepping in time and time again. That if you want to know Jesus close and personal, then understand you just don't have a belief in him, but you have a walk with him. And so we get to a passage this time where uh, we understand that our Father in heaven, through Jesus, offers resources at a season, at a moment, when they should not have been available. God provides for his people. And because it's God who has created us, and he knows all about each one of us, Sometimes you're going to find that God provides in facets of our character and our being that we might not even know about ourselves and perhaps neglect. So God cares. God provides. Sometimes God also just surprises. So he has resources that he offers for me. Now, it is recorded in all the Gospels, all four, that there were many times in which Jesus, because of situations around him, would retreat to a lonely place. And the one we're going to look at today is when he retreats to a lonely place with his other disciples. So he he grabs them and he goes across the lake. And this time the situation was there had been hordes of people around him, plus his jealous critics and persecutors were also seeking him out. So John chapter 6 describes one of these times in which Jesus wants to retreat. And, and this time Jesus does not retreat alone, but even as he retreats with his disciples, it seems to be an opportunity that maybe only Jesus could foresee because certainly his disciples did not. And the Father places this in this situation what is about to happen far above what was planned. The priority just rises. So he escapes to help the needs of his friends. It says in John chapter 6, verse 1, let me go here. Sometime after this, what the this is is not that important, Jesus crossed the far shore to the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover feast was near. The idea is... So many people were around Jesus that he probably gets up early in the morning, talks to the fishermen in his 12, and he says, let's get in the boat and let's go to that special spot that we know of, the spot where I've often got a way to pray. So understand that Jesus often withdraws alone. And alone to pray, alone to be with the Father. Uh, he, in his, in his uh, deity, is always in union with the Father, but in his humanity... Just like you and I, it takes time to keep that relationship cemented. It takes time one-on-one with not a lot of interruptions. So he goes, he lands, he gets off with his disciples, so it's a group of 13. And he goes up to the mountainside and sat, and sits down with his disciples. And my guess is, uh, if, if you understand, you know, that I'm told that uh, the Sea of Galilee is like... Uh, Oh, 13 to 15 miles long and as long as seven, I mean, as wide as seven. Uh, 
but uh, uh, on one side, there's just a lot of, of plateaus. So almost like being in Grand Junction, you have to go up a steep thing to a plateau where there'll be greater vegetation. So this is what he does. He goes up there with his disciples, and I think the idea was he needed uninterrupted time with them, and they needed uninterrupted time with him. So the idea was, it's time to catch up. Let's spend the day together. You probably have some questions in the last few weeks you want to ask of me, and you probably want to share some experience of what God's been doing. So up they go, but as they get there, and they're probably reclining, they can see walking around the lake, probably going twice as far on foot as they did on boat, probably exerting far more energy on foot than they did sailing across or even rowing across. There is a crowd that has followed them, and that crowd is looking for one thing. Where did Jesus go? How can we get with him? And they go to this great uh, expense of energy to be with him. Now, that tells me that the ones who were coming to him were not necessarily the sick and the lame and the, and the weak. It was those who probably had some deep questions or just say, you know, help me fill in the things that I'm not getting from home or from synagogue. Help me just understand what it means to be one who wants to please God in my life. Uh, and it seems like up to this point that the disciples and Jesus are in charge of the day. But as soon as they see that crowd, Jesus suddenly switches and realizes that things have been interrupted. Their plans that they had are, are changed. I, I heard this story from Ann Graham Lotz, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, that for many years she and her husband tried to take Billy and his wife out to dinner in local restaurants. It just didn't work. You know why it didn't work? Because they would sit down and they'd be enjoying their meal and the buzz would go around the restaurant and someone would stand up. Now, understand, you can't do selfies then, okay? But someone would get up and go to the restaurant and in the polite way at that time was to go up to Billy Graham, introduce yourselves, shake his hand, and tell him how much his ministry has meant to their lives. I became a Christian through this conference, this date, this invitation, this message. Now, if you're Billy Graham, it's very affirming. It's also causing starvation. Um, and, and so Anne says, my daddy was very gracious, always listened to them. But she said, as I sat across the table, I always grew more resentful and angry. My plan was to have time alone with mom and dad. Apparently, in any restaurant, that was not God's plan. Do you see how not just, you know, Jesus may be saying, whoops, guys, there's a change of plans. Maybe the disciples are just a little bit put off. Maybe they're not the ones who say, okay, times have changed, places have changed, uh, we, you know, there goes our vacation. It appears that as Jesus sees this crowd coming, he's not feeling necessarily com um, obligated. But instead, there's a great turban here, and it's in uh, verse 34. 
When Jesus saw the, that's in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, it says this about him, he had compassion on them. He sees this crowd, probably mainly healthy people, and as he looks at them, he goes, guys, I gotta go. I have to do this. This is why I'm on this planet for this amount of time. Let's change our plans. As he looks at them, he uses this phrase too, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I want to say this, in this passage, there is no indication that he heals anybody, and also before he feeds anybody, he teaches them. The world is filled with hungry hearts. The world is filled with people who make up their own sort of uh, uh, logical faith or illogical faith. The, the world is filled with people that have gone from here to there to there and have tried everything, but they've never had their heart fed, never had it filled. And so these people are running to Jesus and, and they're probably walking around with questions that have never been answered. They, they probably have personal needs that have never been met. Um, and, 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 and they realize that perhaps what we've seen of this person, Jesus, maybe he can do what nobody else has done ever before in our lives. I want to say this. Even though we're talking about 2,000 years later, I don't think humanity has changed that much. I talk to people who try this for three months and then they go to that for two years and that doesn't work and they move on and on. It's like a tide going in and out and in and out. Do you know God's answers to your deepest questions? You don't have to believe all of them, but do you even know what they are and have you searched them? Uh, do you have experiences which you just cannot figure out? And you're wondering, why, why would, you know, if there is a God, why would I ever go through something like that? Uh, do you have some personal needs? And you're wondering, does anybody else but me care about what I'm going through? You see, we have a problem that it's very hard for us to, uh, hard for us to, you might say, recognize. We're all smart enough. That's not the issue. The problem is, is we don't know our limitations. Humanity really doesn't know that, you know, uh, I can't figure everything out on my own. I need help. And if you've never explored what Jesus has said in his Gospels, or, or, or what we read uh, through apostles like Paul, how they present this wonderful worldview where God is in charge and he is acting, and, and he will be until the end uh, uh, when he takes his church home with him. If you've never searched that out, this is a great time to begin. And if you're saying, I, you know, I look at the Bible and I just, my eyes glaze over, find somebody. I keep saying this. If you pay for lunch, I'll tell you all you need to know. Honest. I will. And if you can't pay for lunch, I'll do both. Really. But before Jesus does anything else, he teaches them, and that was need number one. Well, we know that he does feed them, uh, but and it says this in John chapter 6, verse 5, when Jesus looked at the crowd, he saw them coming towards him, and he realized, now this would be as from putting Mark and John together, 
that, you know, watching them come forward, he realizes, uh uh-oh, you know, they've sat and they've been taught. Now it's, I'm done and it's time for them to go home. And so Jesus says this to Philip and it says it's a test. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asks this only to test him for he already knew what he was about to do. Well, the teaching was over. It's time for the people to go home and, and, and go back to their ordinary circumstances. But this was not an ordinary circumstance. And so when Jesus asked, where should we go to get bread? Understand that uh, it's a test that, uh, that, that Philip fails. Humanly, there's, they do not have enough money to pay for this. Humanly, the disciples and their common purse cannot pay for it. Uh, humanly, there's probably not enough bread in the area for them to disperse and get bread or get their dinner on the way home. The, the drive-through or the walk-through just won't work in the area. So Jesus tells them, let's do something different. Uh, yes, there's not enough food at this time. He asks them to see what food there is. Uh, another disciple comes forward and says, well, we got five little loaves. Probably the coarse little barley loaves that were put in a kid's lunch. And a couple fish, probably two smaller things that were smoked or, or roasted. And, he, and that's all the food they could find there. And Jesus says, okay, organize. Let's organize. Disciples, you're the mater d's. You, you put people in groups of 50 and 100 all along the hillside. So they get them all organized and then they come back. Now the Jesus film shows us, uh, the most recent Jesus film shows it in an amazing way. Uh, of how this happened. But I just want to say, we don't get all the details in any of the Gospels. But the Jesus film shows that, that they have the uh, bread, the little loaves in one basket, and they have the couple fish in another, and that they're, they're raised high, and when they come down, uh, they're, you know, th- there's enough so that people can, the disciples can reach in and take them to the groups. And no matter how much they take out, there's always enough to take more out. We know that Jesus gives thanks, but beyond that, we don't know how he pulled that off. Now, for you who are of a materialist worldview, in other words, there are no miracles, there's only what we know in the universe of material, uh, you have to deny this. It's a legend. It's a fabrication. It couldn't have happened. And yet... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say, oh, yes, it was, and I, I know people who were there. I saw these people get fed. A couple of them said, not only did I see them get fed, but I had to deliver the food and pick it up afterwards. Humanly, it should not have happened. There is no physical, material explanation for this amount of food, for this amount of people. And understand, that's what you're faced with. In a material world that we live in, it's either a fabrication or it's a miracle that only the Son of God himself could pull off. So he feeds their hungry bodies. He feeds their hearts, their, you know, their spiritual starving hearts and their hungry bodies. But he goes beyond that because in the midst of all this, just before the serving begins and they, and the disciples admit we don't have enough, He looks at uh, Philip and he says, now you feed them. You give them something to eat. And so it's not a matter of just what's going to be happening in in this throng of 5,000 men plus who knows how many other thousands of, of women and children. But it's a challenge to Philip and to the other disciples. He's saying, it's your job to feed them. And 
they understand we do not have the trust in God to see such a miracle done. They have to say, it, it just cannot be done, so Jesus does it for them. I, do you understand that? Okay. We tend to focus on what's going on in the, li- in the lives of these 5,000 people who are, should be sent home, but instead Jesus feeds them. But instead what's really going on is in the lives of those who were following Jesus at the time. Those 12 disciples. Because they are in the midst of this situation and suddenly they discover what we've got is not enough. We have five loaves, little tiny loaves. We have two small fish for for a youth. It's not enough for even one of the groups of 50. It's sort of like if they if they just did communion, you know how much and communion you just only take this much off of it. You know? Why? Because you don't want to look like you're eating a whole meal and you're you're being really selfish and and you don't want to see people you know chewing. You know, okay, so you just take off a little bit. They were thinking only a little bit would work, and that would only do one of the groups. Wow. In the midst of this, he is helping the needs of his disciples. And he challenges him, Philip and the others. They also have a hungry faith that needs to be constantly fed, observing Jesus of Nazareth to be more than they ever imagined. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we have that same need. We can continue to trust and believe But every once in a while, isn't it great to watch him step in and do something that we never imagined would happen? Now, you may only have a a few of those examples in a whole lifetime, or you may still be waiting for your first, and that's okay. But this is who God is, and this is who why he sent his son, so that we would have a growing trust as we are in a relationship with him. And just as he wants to help the needs of his 12 disciples in the year about 33, so in the year 2014, he is totally devoted to your needs, meeting them, and especially your spiritual needs. So maybe you've come this morning and you've, you've seen the situation that, that is explained there and you say, yeah, I can believe that it wasn't a fabrication. It was a miracle back then. But what does that have to do with me now? Jesus met the spiritual, physical, and personal needs of the crowd and his disciples. Do you understand it's there for us today because he wants to do the same for us today? Maybe not on the same methods, but he wants to do the same for us today. You are walking around with a fundamental spiritual need. You want a relationship with your creator. You want not just to believe in God, but you want to walk with God. And you want a a walk with God that will last beyond this life. Your creator wants you to know both him and he wants you to know your love for him. And and, 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 And he wants you to know that you can love him back. You can have this relationship together. And to reach that point, he sends you Jesus. So as we read historical documents, we just don't understand their, their history with great uh, miracles of God stepping in. But we, we apply what we're reading to understand God is also looking at me with compassion and understanding I can be like a sheep without a shepherd. 
It is a perfect moment to connect once again with God. What he does, first and foremost, is when God the Father sends his son Jesus, he wants to get rid of the blockage that keeps you from him. The blockage that we build up because of our sin. And so first and foremost, before maybe Jesus steps into our lives and does these these wonderful little things, he did the big thing. And he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood as what God's requirement was for the forgiveness of our sins. And once that done, the blockage is removed. God no longer looks at our sin as a, as a wall between the two of us. Instead, God says, you are now accepted as my child. You are now a one who is within my family. And, and, and I invite you to follow me as both you and I desire. You study every other faith, every other basic worldview, and, and you'll come up with this, that the deepest spiritual needs that you are walking around with um, are sort of denied by these other worldviews. So let, me, let me just give you the three that I'm studying right now, and you'll be getting more of this in the autumn, but one of the great worldviews that we come across is this materialism where you deny anything that is, is, is superhuman, that goes beyond uh, just what we can see and measure. And, and understand that when the feeding of the 5,000 comes about, either they're saying uh, there was a catering truck that came in and fed them, or it didn't happen. And this is just something made up because they cannot accept anything supernatural. We also live in a, in a humanist sort of uh, uh, worldview. And, and it's seen especially by saying either I can do this myself or if I can't do it, something else on this earth will do it for me. And we look at government as, as the big answer to all of humans' needs. And then there's the sort of pantheistic, the Eastern uh, religious view, where the, the idea would be, you don't really need that bread. What you really need is sort of a peace within to, to come to grips with your internal self. And so maybe it's good not to have bread at all for a while. Jesus understands the physical needs. Jesus understands the spiritual needs. Jesus understands your own personal needs. And I want you to know that he meets them. The physical needs was the feeding of the stomach, but your physical need might be something very different. Your physical need may be, Lord, my job is in danger. You need to talk to him about it. You need to listen to him about it. You might be saying, Lord, my physical health is in danger. Or my budget, you know, or, or, you know, I've got a leaky roof or I've got a car that doesn't start or, or, or I, I'm, my debt is growing and I realize that I've used my money poorly. He wants to hear all those things because he's concerned about your physical needs. But I want to go back now to this idea of those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and realize that he also is aware of some personal needs of yours that may be even hidden from you. By that, I mean in the feeding of the 5,000, I think the disciples were fed more in their faith than the 5,000 were fed in their, in their, uh, through their stomachs. You see, what first comes out of the disciples 
is this cannot happen. God's not going to step in. There's nothing that anybody can do. Here are some of the replies as you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of them says, uh, uh, because he's sharing his opinion, it would take eight months' pay to feed this, uh, this many people. Another one says, Lord, send them home now before they faint from hunger. Another one says, Lord, let them go to the villages nearby and, and buy their own bread. And finally, another one says, we have a boy with five loaves of bread and two little fish. But he ends with this statement. But what good would that do? Meaning, it's useless. We're in a helpless situation. Anybody can share their opinion about what they see. And you know what? We humans usually do. But when we change... We change as we get in the game. So these disciples become the maitre d's, the waiters, and the busboys. And God's the chef. And, and, and as they do that, you know, I, I was just thinking of our children. You, you see uh, there on the first, second, third of those five posters, when it talks about uh, <clears throat> God's game plan for me, God puts me in the game. Now, the 5,000 were fed, but it was brought to them. The 12 were the ones who experienced the joy of knowing Jesus could do this, and they were the ones who did the work. More than their opinions, they had to start giving their holy sweat. And isn't it beautiful? Because as this was over, just about everybody who, you know, every one of the 12 would always relate that this was what Jesus did in this situation. And that tells them, Therefore, no matter what situation I'm in as a disciple, I understand God knows me. God's aware of my situation. God cares. And God is active. God is active. I may not get the answer I want, but it doesn't mean that he's not present. So they grew in their faith by going up the hillside and down the hillside, being the waiters, being the busboys. And then finally at the end, they got to eat. And you know how much they had to eat? It says they each gathered a basket each. That means a basket of bread, maybe some fish, but a basket of bread. And they started out with just five little loaves. When they had to clean up, there was more than what they started with. I'm sorry. I could never forget that. If I was to write a book and I was there, that would be what I'd write my book on. Can you believe what God can do when we just place our trust and say he is the one who has resources for us. Now this bottle. Growing up, um, my mother was a, a nurse before she had children. And when she had children, she brought some of the old customs of 1940s nursing with her. We had this little bottle of cod liver oil. Any of you old enough to remember cod liver oil? Okay, she says it was for my health. I was sure I had done something wrong. Um, But I could not leave for school without a drop or two or three on my lips. I once asked her what it does, and she goes, it makes you healthy. I said, no, it makes me vomit. Um, But sure enough, until, you you know, she kept doing that. Well, there is a true account. The witnesses have now passed away. But Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy in World War II, um, and you can read it in the book The Hiding Place, 
when they uh, were discovered and arrested for hiding Jews in their homes, um, they, she and her sister were sent to the prison camp called Ravensbrook. And at Ravensbrook, 96,000 people died until they were emancipated. 96,000. It was a camp built for 300. They put in 1,400 at one time. People did not last long at Ravensburg. Somehow, Corey Ten Boom snuck in a bottle of liquid vitamins. That's the way it used to be. Your vitamins were liquid. And she, she brought it in. It was a dark brown bottle like this. And the account that she gives in her book is that every morning on the single piece of bread that they received for the day, she would do this for her sister Betsy. She would just put one, two drops on it and let Betsy eat it. Then she would put it on her own bread. Now, Betsy was ill when she got in and she died at Ravensbrook. But as other people in their barracks saw what Corey was doing for her sister. Women around there said, could you please give me some vitamins? Could you put a drop or so on my bread? And that group grew from two to five to 20 to 25 every morning for that one piece of bread, a drop or two of liquid vitamins. Corey Tamboom says, I, the bottle was so dark I couldn't see how much was ever left. But there was never a morning in which I didn't open it for my entire time of imprisonment and drop this on, one or two drops, to everyone, to these ladies. She says, I don't think, I mean, several died. My own sister died. But every time they did this, they gained hope. One, two drops. I come to you as somebody who's probably way too frugal. And I realize that in my old nature, I would have said, Corey, you're an idiot. This is for you and Betsy, and Betsy's sick. This is for you. And Corey never did that. She kept giving and giving, and giving. And in the little that she had, until she was set free, she said, it never ran out. Friends, we don't have a lot of rich people here. I mean, for the rest of the world, yeah, we're among the most rich, but we're not filthy rich, okay? But in the little that we have, and I have way too many frozen turkeys. In the little that we have, God tells you, trust me and share it with others. Give them the hope that it gives you. Let's pray. I am not asking, nor do I think is God asking, to give away everything you have, give it to the poor, 
and come and follow me. I think that was a specific situation. But what do you have too much of that you could share with others? Or something else, what do you hold on to way too tightly that you could give or share with others? You see, nobody grew more through this situation than the disciples, those who were following Christ. Nobody learned better that God has resources that are for you than the disciples. You are the ones who are currently writing the stories that your children and your children's children will remember until they're in heaven. So what are they? Lord, just now in silence, we listen to, uh, you listen to hearts. Hearts. What do we have that we can share with others? That it might be a testimony of how you have looked after my needs. What do we have? And maybe what do we hold on to way too tightly? So that as we do this, we could honor you as we build the family, serve the community, and share your love with the world. Thank you, Lord. God's people said, Amen. Let's stand up.